Well, good morning, church. Listen, it is so good to be with you this morning on this Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to everybody in the room. It feels good to be a dad. I'm thankful this morning. Uh, to even watch that video right now, I was trying to hold the tears back before we get rolling this morning. So I'm so thankful that we're here together this morning. As I take uh, this opportunity on a Sunday morning, I do not take it for granted ever that we get a chance to, to sit together to open up God's word, that he might teach us something new today. And that's my prayer for us today. We have open hearts and open minds to hear from God. Now, the video that you just saw is the voice of Paul Harvey, and it's a speech that he gave to the FFA, the Future Farmers of America, in 1978. And when I listen to this video, it does something to me because he's speaking to the lifeblood of, of our nation, the kind of people who live the American farmer way of life. And for me, this was my childhood. This is the way that I grew up. And so in that video, you saw four generations of Miller farmers. Now, different iterations, of course. Uh, because some of them were much more uh, familiar with the toils of the soil, with plowing and planting and harvest. And the younger uh, iterations just kind of go play on a little plot of land up by Batesburg every once in a while. But it's a little bit of a different experience. But still, it's a part of my life growing up. And to be able to be a part of that video is something very special. You see, Donald Alvin Miller, he started the Miller Homestead in Lafayette, Indiana in 1963. And there was cows and hogs and chickens and horses. The farm saw all kinds of livestock. We had um, corn and soybeans, strawberries and wheat and other crops that the farm saw as well. I remember as a kid, I stayed with my grandmother a lot. And I will never forget during lunchtime, my grandmother making a lunch for my grandfather, wrapping it in tinfoil, getting his old thermos, beat up thermos with ice water, filling it up and then go and find grandpa in whatever field he was plowing or planting in so we could take him lunch. And he'd get into the truck, and it was awesome. He smelled like diesel and dirt. It was like one of my favorite scents, even as a child. Spending time that way, it grew something in me. It did something to me. It shaped me. I remember sitting around the dinner table with my family, praying for rain to come in the hot summers so that the crops would have some water to be able to grow. I remember building things and fixing things on the farm because there was always something to build or to fix. And even as a kid, I was either uh, voluntarily or being voluntold to come and be a part of whatever my dad and my grandfather we're fixing on or working on on the farm. So whether it was times that I really enjoyed or even the really, really hard times, I look back and these were times that shaped me and they molded me. And so hearing what Paul Harvey has to say in this speech, it moves me. And so on this Father's Day, um, I wanna take a moment to thank my dad and my grandfather who invested in my life. Donald Miller, you saw him in a picture. Um, he's not able to be with us right now. He lives in Kentucky right now and hopefully he's watching right now. But I'm thankful for those two individuals who invested in my life and made me who I am today. But the truth is, it wasn't just my dad and my grandfather. There was many men, godly, faithful men who were in my life who poured into me, and I'm super thankful uh, for each and every one of their investment because it's made me who I am today. So today, I wanna be very clear with who I'm speaking to. I mean, certainly this morning, I'm speaking to every father in the room, every grandfather in the room as we celebrate Father's Day together. I believe that God has something to speak to us here in the room together. I'm also speaking to those in the room who maybe don't have their father with them for some reason. Maybe their father's passed. And so this, this morning can be a really joyful day. It can also be a very painful and difficult day. But I believe God wants to speak to us still, even today. I wanna to speak also to those in the room who are uh, men who have invested in the lives of kids and students here in this church. Maybe you're not fathers yourselves, but you are certainly a father figure to many here in this community, here in this church. Thank you for your investment. It makes a difference. So thank you for all that you do. But we're gonna look at some scripture today, I believe that have biblical principles that no matter who we are in the room, whatever gender, whatever age, I believe it can teach us something new, and this message is for you. 
Now to really kick things off right this morning, I wanted to take a moment to invite someone to the stage, someone very special to me. You might know him as the man, the myth, the legend, Philip Alvin Miller, but I know him simply as dad. So if you'd invite Phil to the stage this morning, would you join me? Philip Alvin Miller. That's a good looking man right there. Phil, good to see you. Thank you. I haven't seen you Thank since you nine o'clock. We did this one time before, didn't we? Yes, we did. We did. This is the only time, actually, that we've ever done something like this before, though. Yeah. Uh, on a Sunday morning. It's, it's a blessing to me. It well, is a blessing. I, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Yeah. Cool. So, so, so now, real quick. So the video that we just showed a second ago, tell us a little bit about that video. Like, where was that filmed? What uh, was involved in that video? That, that's, that was filmed just uh, Tuesday on our farm. Um, we, we own 23 acres uh, in the Batesburg, Leesville area, just, north, just south of the circle. And um, it, was, it was fun. We tried it. Monday night, trackers didn't run real well, so we had to work on them, and then Tuesday we were able to film. So, That's right. so there was uh, my dad there, there was me there, my two boys were there, and then we had pictures of my grandfather there as right. well. So uh, Donald Alvin Miller, Philip Alvin Miller, Trevor Alvin Miller, and I had to do it to my kid too, Elias Alvin Miller. Yeah, it's a, it's a curse. Yes, and it keeps going. Yeah. So, But it was fun, and, and the tractors that were there, those special tractors as well. Right. Um, I, I, it looked like a John Deere commercial. It really isn't. Uh, you know, we, we love John Deere. We only do green. Uh, yeah, we only do green. And sorry about those that are red here and orange, whatever. Um, we, um, the one tractor is a 50, 51 model, and the uh, other tractor is a 50, um, sorry, 46 model. So they are antiques, um, by far uh, huge antique tractors. So it takes a little bit of time to get them to work. Yeah, and Grandpa restored both of them right. and, and set them down so they live down here now yep. uh, with us. So, Dad, 38 years to finally get to this moment to be able to ask a question that I really, really want to ask before we get into anything, and that is very simple. Between my sister and I, who was your favorite kid? Wow. Go ahead, well, tell people. Well, I tell you what, both of you guys are, I'm, we're, Cindy and I are both very proud of both of you. Yeah, but. An incredible, um, but uh, I'd have to go with my grandkids. Okay. Yeah, I've Fair got enough. four grandkids, Fair and enough. they called me Papal. So. Yes, Owen Miller's in the room yeah. somewhere, Owen's so somewhere. You're, you're the favorite, Owen. That's Good right. job. So, the favorite. So, uh, Dad, what was it like, though, um, growing up on the farm, Lafayette, Indiana, Dad is a farmer, um, what was life like then for you growing up, and how, what was the experience for you? Well, I, I think uh, farming is one thing that it becomes um, part of your blood. You know, you just get, and, and there's history, and there's... Um, you know, the family farm that I was involved with, 127 years of history. And uh, um, I, not only did my dad being the fourth, there's, there's three generations before that even. And uh, in 1873 is when the original farm was bought. And uh, so, um, but I think some of the, the issue is, is that uh, after a while, we, we, we got called away from that. And that was a difficult time. So, but... The, the farm itself um, is an incredible um, lifestyle, and, and I, would, I, would, I would love that everybody could be a part of it, but not everybody. You know, um, it's very isolated. It's, uh, uh, we lived um, 13 miles from any civilization, it felt like, but um, it, it was something that we grew within each other. Each other, we would, uh, I, would, I got to know my dad, you know, like my best friend, you know, and that kind of stuff, so. So what kind of stuff did you guys do together? We, well, we would, uh, we would plow. Um, well, actually, every spring we would get the soil um, ready. We farmed about 350 acres. And um, we would spend hours and hours on tractors and plowing. And, and that, you know, plowing is not even really done. Moldboard plowing is not done much today. But, 
you know, that's the first part of, of getting the soil ready for uh, seed to be planted. And we would constantly uh, throw dirt claws at each other and make faces at each other every time we would pass in the field. And, and it was a lot of special time. I know even when I kind of came around, the farming was still quite a bit different mm-hmm. from what it was when, when you were a kid. But there's so much about it, too, that I really, really love. Spending time with you and Grandpa yeah. in the fields, doing everything else. But um, after being a, a dad now for a little bit of time, I have so much more sympathy for you uh, as a dad of people like me and my sister. And um, looking back on that time frame, even now, being a young dad, there are things that I probably would do differently if I could go back and, and change something. But for you, looking back on how you raised us, is there anything that you would change? Maybe, maybe something you would do differently? Yeah, I, uh, first thing comes to my mind is I, I, I wish I would um, would have spent more time in, in what you're doing. And um, it's very, it was very simple for my dad and I because we were kindred spirit. We, you know, we love tractors. We're working farm and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, Trevor comes along and he's, he's, he loves athlete, athletics. And so, you know, I wish I'd have spent more time in, involved in your life. Shelby also, being, being more involved would be, would it be, definitely be the something I would change today. Yeah, I remember even as a kid, like, just being uh, frustrated. I'd be angry, be like, Dad, I want you to push me to do better at football. Just make me better. And you'd be like, no, you did great. It was wonderful. It was such yep. an encourager. I'm like, no, yep. no, it was terrible. Like, make me better. Yeah, yeah, he was not a whole lot of fun when he, he felt like he didn't okay, do well. Okay, moving on. Yeah. So, <laughs> so anyway. But, but for Shelby, I mean, you tried to get in her world right. as well. Um, obviously, I uh, decided one day that Shelby and I were going we're gonna to go bond. And so we went shopping. And we ended up arguing for four hours. So anyway. So there's ways to do it, ways not to do it. Yeah, ways but I, not to do but it. But I, I get that. I mean, like your willingness to kind of invest in my world was a very important thing. But the truth is, too, as a kid, like it's my job also to kind of meet you halfway. Right, you know? right. Which is one of the things I love to do. Like when we did build something, when we were farming, we do... And, and joining you in that created the relationship that, right, that we have. Right. Um, but tell me a little bit about, uh, you kind of alluded to a second ago, but there was a time in our life, I think I was in third grade, when kind of our, everything for our family changed. We kind of turned a page and right. said goodbye to a lot of stuff and started something new. Yeah, we, uh, Cindy and I felt uh, called into ministry, um, not really knowing what that is, but I knew I needed to go to college. So uh, I started college at Asbury um, Asbury College in Wilmore, Kentucky, and uh, really had to sell the family farm, which was, that, that wasn't easy. Sorry. This, this, I've lived this my whole life. Yeah. So well, when, my, when my dad goes to pray, we have a joke, and it's like, wait 10 seconds, and he's going to be... That's right. But there is a, there, myself. there really is like a, a tender heart, Dad, that I think you've had like yeah. my whole life that has influenced me in the way that I do ministry as well. But yeah, I mean, having a farm for 127 years in the family and then yep. having to say goodbye is not yeah, easy. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was hard to say goodbye. And uh, so we went off into missions. Um, I mean, we, we did uh, some uh, five years with Mercy Ships and, uh, and really felt like the Lord had really moved us. We had some incredible times. And I think... That time of change from the farm really uh, lend itself um, to really you and Shelby um, see a whole different part of what God was doing in our lives. And so we nurtured that by, by giving up something. And that was, um, you know, basically before we even left Lafayette, Indiana, you know, the, a lot of the hard part was already done because, you know, I was able to say, you know, um, close the, the family farm. So. Yeah, as a third grade kid, I didn't fully understand what I was seeing. But now that I'm older and as a dad myself, like I, I know what it means to take risk. 
because you believe that what God has for you is, is even more important than maybe what you have right now. Mm-hmm. And so it's something I really cherish and I really value now. I didn't know what I was seeing then, but, but I see it now. And I want that for right. my, my kids as well. So, well, Dad, what did you do um, when we were young? What do you feel like you were pretty good at as a dad? How did you, you do knock it out of the park? Well, um, I, think, I, I think the part is really um, making, making the, a, a place where God can get a hold of you, you both of you. And I think we did pretty well with that. I think Cindy and I both would agree on that. Um, not boasting in any of that because that would be wrong. But it really was a part of it. It would really, be wrong. Exactly, that would be wrong. But I, I just think that there's a part of is that you have to give up some of your own desires uh, to really um, work, work towards the family. And it was worth it. It was well worth it. Yeah, I remember as a kid in my family, I just remember we laughed a lot. We had a lot of fun and kind of whatever was going on, even in the tough times, like there was a way that we made things fun. We enjoyed each other. Um, not every single day, but certainly as a pattern, it was a reality for us. <laughs> yeah, there's some And times. I think you and mom really created that kind of experience for us yeah. to, to have that. And honestly, one of the biggest things too I was thinking about earlier is you guys set a tone for us of what real hospitality looked like. Mm. I had so many friends who would come to the house. Our house was always full of, of people my age and the youth group and so forth. And I think every kid who came into our house felt like they were loved by you, just like mm. their own dad, you know? And I think it's a really special thing. It's something I've yeah. really tried to bring into my life as well right. as I raise my kids. I want an environment like that. I want to I be a friend and a father to my kids' yeah. friends as well. I think it's an important thing. So how would you say, though, what would you say, um, how was parenting like farming. If you were to make a comparison between the two, how, oh is, how is parenting like farming? Well, it's so, it's so parallel. It really is. Um, you know, we, you know, as a farming, you, 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 you plan, you plan, you plan, and then, then you start to plow and then you start to disc and then you start to, uh, plant the seed. And then, and then you work basically as a part as once you get that seed in the ground, your, your job's kind of over. It's really relying on what God is going to do with it. God has to bring the water. God has to make the seed die and then grow and multi- multiply. And that's all done by him. And being able to let go of that. And our life really started really uh, in the farming community is when you start praying. As soon as you seed hits the ground, you start praying for rain. So um, in that same situation and, you know, in our kids' life, there's a part of, of nurturing kind of a soil, you know, making sure your kids um, get to church, making sure, you know, and, and I, I would never say, make sure you, you land on you and your, your spouse is that church is important and youth group is important because when they start making decisions and, and they need someone else to bounce it off of. So th- there's, there's your help, yeah. you know? So but then, and then being, allowing God to get a hold of your kids. And then all of a sudden there's this part is that all I can do is pray for them. I'll be on my knees quite often. Yeah, there's only so much you can do. Exactly. As so a much farmer, there's only so much you can do as a parent. Right. And the rest is up to God. And that's exactly. a really hard thing to do. Uh, I'm learning that in the process that I'm in right now as a dad too. Well, dad, thank you for taking a little bit of time this morning and spending time. Would you join me in thanking Philip Alvin Miller one more time for coming to the stage? Thank you. Happy Father's Day, dad. Yep. I love you. You know, throughout the scriptures, there's this theme that plays out over and over and over again. And the authors use it often when trying to explain kind of the ways of God, the way that we live in tandem with God, the way we join him with what he's doing within the world. And that theme is the theme of agriculture and farming. And the reason the authors use this is because oftentimes they were writing to a society that was really, really familiar with this kind of thing, agriculture and farming. This is the way they, they, this is the way they live. This is the kind of life that they lived. 
in our culture today, many of us in the room, we are fully removed from this kind of way of living. And so oftentimes what's written in the scriptures we miss out on because we don't fully understand it. For some of us, the closest we get to kind of hands in the dirt is like the produce section in Publix. You know, that's as close we get to farming. And so sometimes we miss out on the depth of what the Bible is trying to say. What I want to do today is I want to look a little bit at the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is 150 different writings talking about how the people of God can learn to have handles for handling life, both the highs and the lows. It's an incredibly raw book. It's an honest book. It's a, it's a book sometimes it's hard to read. But this book is one that helps us navigate. It's called Wisdom Literature for a Reason, so we can learn how to live wise and healthy lives. I want to start in chapter 1 of Psalms because it kind of lays the groundwork for everything else that's being said. In Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, here's what the author says. He said, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or take a seat in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Blessed is the one who does not walk or stand or sit. In fact, in the original Hebrew, it would actually read like this, blessed is the man. Blessed is the man who does not walk and stand and sit in these different locations. If you're an ancient Near Eastern Jewish man, when you hear this read before you, your attention would, would immediately be perked. Because blessing was one of the most important pieces of Jewish faith. Everyone was looking for blessing. Everyone wanted to live the blessed life. And so when you're reading Psalm chapter 1, the first response you would have had was, how do I get that? How do I live the blessed life? Blessed is the man who lives in this kind of manner. And the question is, how do we get there? The writer is very clear from the very beginning that there are two different paths that we can walk. There's a bit of a theme through these three first three verses of this way of walking in this path and a choice that each and every one of us can make. One path we can choose can lead us toward the blessed life. The other path that we can choose can actually lead us away. And the Hebrew word for blessing is this word, esher, esher. Now this word is translated in multiple ways, but it's translated as blessed. One of the closest ways we get to it in the English is happy. And one of the root words means this, the straight way. Blessed is the man. Happy is the man who lives in the way of God. Now you see this word, esher, doesn't mean the kind of things that we think of in the Western culture when we think of blessing. We often think of money, status, power, popularity, stuff. That's not what the author is getting at here. When he says blessed is the man, what he means is it's the kind of life where you're walking in tandem with the ways of God. When you are living the ways of God, when you are following his law, when you are a part of God's will and his way, we experience the blessed and happy life. So the author's saying, here's how you get there. Now there seems to be a warning in these first two verses and a very important warning that I wanna talk about this morning. And it goes something like this. Don't search for happiness in places that it can't be found. Don't search for happiness in places that it cannot be found. Now this morning, I'm talking to fathers and grandfathers, but I'm also talking to all of us in the room. Don't search for happiness in places that it can't be found. And I feel this because in my own life, I experience the same kind of thing that maybe you do as well. Because all of us have the tendency to convince ourselves that the blessed life is something that we can buy. The blessed life can come from some kind of success that we can have or potentially some kind of status that we can achieve. If we can just get here, if I could just, you fill in the blank, then finally I'd experience the blessed life. And the problem is, 
It's not a reality. Maybe for some of us this morning, maybe the reasons that this blessed life is so elusive to us because we have been searching in all the wrong places, trying to manufacture it on our own. Now this search, I don't know why sometimes in my own kids I can see it, but I have a hard time, harder time seeing it in my own life. Maybe you have a household like mine as a dad. When I say to my kids, all right guys, it's time to go. We gotta leave the house to go do this or do that. Everyone go get your shoes. What happens to your kids? The brain just shuts off, right? I'll be clear. The shoes are in the same place every day in the closet by the front door. But if I ask my kids, go find your shoes, they will search everywhere except for the place that it can be found. They could send out a search party, release the dogs, and they will never find the shoes in a week. And all I gotta do is walk to the closet and be like, guys, here's your shoes, right here. Or maybe like my household, maybe your house is like this too, when it's nighttime and there's one last thing to do before bed, like one last simple thing to do before bed, go brush your teeth. What do your kids do? What's a toothbrush? <laughs> toothpaste? I have toothpaste. And they can't find it anywhere. And they search all over the house, like in the freezer, the sock drawer, the snack cabinet, all of the places except for where their dental needs will actually be found. And it takes forever. It drives me crazy. Can I get an amen from anybody else in the room? For whatever reason, our kids have a tendency to look in all the wrong places for the things that they're actually looking for. But the truth is, we do too. We do too. Even as adults, I find myself too often looking in places for happiness that will never be found. And then wondering why it's so elusive to me. This is what the writer is talking about in chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. As I look around, I see many people who are doing the same kind of thing, carefully searching for this blessed life, this happy life, but unfortunately looking in places that, that are going to leave them still wanting. So the author says, there are three mentalities and ways of living that are on ramps to the path away from blessing. And they must be avoided at all cost. And the writer says it like this. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Now this word wicked is a very specific word in the Old Testament. This word wicked literally means someone who is restless. The word wicked means folks who have ungoverned passions. In fact, in describing the wicked in Isaiah 57 verse 20, here's what the writer says. But the wicked are like the tossing of the sea, which cannot rest. Those waves cast up mire and mud all around them. You see, the wicked are the folks that are always looking for something. They're restless in heart. They have passions that are ungoverned, and it oftentimes takes them away from the things that truly matter. Our time, our attention, our affection goes to things that in the end don't really matter at all. I'll be honest, in my life, this is how it kind of plays out. If there's a man in the room that can identify with it, let me just hear from you. It's something called Craigslist. Now, Craigslist has all these places and, and different categories where you can buy things that you don't actually need, that someone else is trying to get rid of. But for some reason, it pulls me in. I start looking through Craigslist, and I'm like, I could use a tractor. That'd be nice. Two jet skis for 500 bucks that don't actually work, but who knows, maybe we could get them working. That would make me happy. A goat. What I need is a goat. If I had a goat, then everything would be cool. Like, I go through all the different stuff, and I think to myself, if I just had this stuff, this is what my life is missing. And if I'm honest, if I could just get it, then things would be cool. And the problem is that restless heart, that ungoverned heart, has a way of affecting all kinds of things within our life. If my marriage was just different, if that was something different, maybe then I could experience happiness, real, real blessedness. 
Maybe if I had a different job, I mean, surely maybe the job's the issue. If I had a different job, then I could finally find the place that I'm looking for, the kind of happiness that I really want. You know, maybe, maybe if I had a different house, a different car, finally a house on the lake, then things would be cool. And the problem is it'll never, ever, ever be found there. And the author says, be careful. Be careful with the restless spirit. Don't walk with the wicked. Those with ungoverned hearts who are tossed back and forth like the seas of the ocean. Because what you will find is you are always looking and it's always just ahead of you. And someone else always has just a little bit more. And you're chasing something that in the end will never actually fulfill. So be careful. We have a choice in what path we walk. Some lead to blessing and some lead away. Don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Secondly, the author says this, and do not stand in the way of sinners. Do not stand in the way of sinners. Now, the Hebrew word for sinner is the word sinner. It's pretty self-explanatory, actually. But when you look at the context and the way this whole, these three verses are written, you might be able to define a sinner as this, someone who's traveling in the wrong direction. Someone who's making choices and decisions that is leading them away from a relationship with God because here's what sin does in the end. It always breaks our relationship with God and it always breaks our relationship with people. So the author says, be careful where you walk. Be careful where you stand. Don't stand with sinners. Now again, these choices that, that are made oftentimes, it has a way of, of harming things around us. And I know this is true, not just for myself and not just for you here in the room. I know it to be true for my kids as well. As a father, I may not do a lot of things right, but one thing that I have started long ago that I think is right, even though my kids will probably be in counseling one day because of it, is every single morning when I take them to school, I say the exact same thing to them verbatim. And some days they're like, dad, please lay off. Some days it's like totally re received and it's wonderful, but I'll keep doing it no matter what. It's very simple. We pull up to get out, whether it's chaotic or not, and I'll say, hey, listen, listen, you are brave, you are honest, you are loyal, you love people, you love God. Stay humble, hustle hard. Your words and your actions are who you are every single day. And again, sometimes like, dad, just lay off. I don't wanna hear it. And sometimes like, dad, thanks, I love you. See you later. But I will continue to do it because I know as soon as my kids hit the school, as soon as they get into the hallways, as soon as they get into the classrooms, there is invitation over and over and over again to find a new path that leads away from the things of God. And how many in the room know that sometimes we have to be reminded of who we are and how we should live so we don't find ourselves pulled in a way that we shouldn't. I want this for my kids. I need it for myself. You see, the Spirit of God is a bit of a GPS for our life to help reorient us, to put us back on track, to remind us when we're standing in places that we shouldn't be standing, making choices that we shouldn't be making, but instead finding ourselves once again on this path that leads to blessing. May the Spirit of God this morning keep our hearts tender and sensitive to sinful desire, sinful thoughts, sinful actions that puts us on a path that we don't wanna be on. So the author says, be careful where you walk. Be careful where you stand. But then the author says this, lastly, do not sit in the seat of mockers. One final warning, one more mentality to avoid. Do not sit in the seat of mockers. I believe this mentality is one of the most dangerous ones that's mentioned here in Psalm 1. You see, a mocker would be defined this way, those who ridicule what is good and holy. A mocker is someone who sees the things of God and instead of receiving it with joy, mocks it as ridiculous. 
as a waste of time. I see this as an increasingly popular stance within our culture today, kind of across the board, who see God and the things of God as antiquated and foolish and laughable. You see, the mocker does not just hold these feelings themselves. They want to make sure that others come and sit with them in the same mentality as well. The mocker sees the reading of the Bible, the, the, the time spent in prayer as a waste of time. They see different ways of living like honesty and sacrifice, holy living, generosity as weakness as opposed to strength. They see the idea of the resurrection as a joke, the authority of scripture, the spirit of God as misguided. You see, a mocker is cynical about the things of God. And in so doing, we neglect the very power that can change our lives. So the author says, don't, don't walk with the wicked. Don't stand with the sinner and don't sit with the mocker, don't sit with the mocker. If you notice in these two short verses, there's a bit of a movement to the passage, right? Don't, don't walk with the wicked, don't stand with the sinner and don't sit with the mocker. And here's why, I think the author is doing this on purpose because he knows that if you're walking in a certain direction, all you have to do is keep on walking. We come to the recognition, we realize, is that a better word? We realize this path is not the one we want. So we'll just keep walking to a different path, a better path toward blessing. But if we find ourselves standing in this particular place, it takes more energy once again to get going from a standing position. But sometimes we have to. We've got to keep moving to a different location. But guess what? When you are seated, it's set. It takes much more energy to get up once again and move on from that particular place. The author knows this. Uh, walking, sitting, standing. Be careful where you walk, sit, and stand. Because if we're not careful, we will find ourselves in a place that is harder and harder and harder to move on from, to once again find this happy path, this right way that God has invited us into. So rather than choosing these three mentalities, the Bible says we have another choice to make. We can choose something different. He said, blessed is the man who meditates on God's law day and night, who lives by his word. That's where blessing is found. This Hebrew word that is used here for meditate is the Hebrew word daga. Everyone say daga. Yeah, can you feel that word? That, that Hebrew word means what it sounds like. And literally translated, it means like to growl or to utter, to speak, to meditate. It's taking God's word and spending so much time with it, speaking it over and over again, maybe even having to growl it or utter it to remind ourselves of the truth of it. If we sit with it long enough, it does something to us. It teaches us. To me, it's a lot like, a lot like eating good steak. Maybe a good Father's Day illustration is like this. When I bought my first house here in Lexington, I got a grill right away. I was single, making tons of money as a middle school pastor here at this church. Just kidding, I was not making tons of money. But I wasn't married, so I had tons of money. So I decided I was gonna eat steak like as much as I possibly could. So I would go buy steak at Old Timey Meat Market. I'd bring it home. I'd throw it in this little container. I would cover it with this Stubbs marinade that I found that I was obsessed with. I bought it like tons of them, had the whole thing full of them, and just cover it like crazy. And what I found is if I let that steak sit long enough, the longer that I let it sit in the marinade, guess what? The better it tasted. I'd grill that thing, and the flavors would just pop. And the longer that it sat there and waited before I put it on the grill, the better this is the kind of picture that the author is kind of uh, coloring for us here, painting for us. He's saying, listen, those who meditate on God's law, 
who sit in it long enough that it can permeate our very being, become a part of who we are, where we live it out without even really thinking about it. The longer we marinate in God's word, the better father we become, the better person we become. Not because the Bible's some magic formula, but because we allow the spirit of God to work in it and through it, and it does something to us if we sit with it. You see, the ancients used to call it this, Lexio Divina, which literally means sitting with this thing, praying before you ever open the scriptures to read it and say, Spirit of God, would you show me something new today? Would you teach me the best way to live? May you show me the right path today. Reading the scriptures after you pray, allowing God to open them to you. And then you spend time contemplating that passage, thinking on it. One of my favorite things right now at my new house that we just finally moved into is to walk around outside in the trees, the birds and everything, and just think about the things of God. It sounds so boring, but it's not. Because it permeates me. It changes me. It does something to me. And the more that I sit with it, the more changed I become. We contemplate God's word. And lastly, and most importantly, action. What do we do now based upon what we just read and what the spirit of God is teaching us? It's gotta change something. It's marinating in God's word. This is the path to blessing, friends. This is how we find the blessed life. We don't walk and stand and sit in these places. Instead, we turn our attention to the scriptures, to God's law. We sit in it. We let it do something to us. It is not fancy at all. It's not flashy. We avoid these things because they know they will lead us to a path that we shouldn't go down. But instead, we find all of our time, energy, attention, and affection pointed towards this thing. Because by the spirit of God, it changes us and makes us the people that God wants us to be. It's that simple. But the author says there's a result in living this kind of way. Not walking, standing, sitting, but instead meditating on God's law, there's a result. And it comes back to this agricultural farming language that I love. In verse three, the author then writes this. That person, remember the blessed man who avoided those things, but instead found this as most important within their life? That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Whatever they do prospers. See, I want to be the kind of man, I want us as a congregation to be the kind of people who see God's word as so valuable that we would sit in it, that we would let it teach us something and change us in some kind of way so we find ourselves planted like trees by streams of water who produce good fruit, the kind of fruit that blesses a family, that blesses a community, that ultimately blesses a world, whose leaf does not wither and whatever we do prospers, not for our sake, but for the world's sake, to make things right. That's the kind of life I wanna live. That's the kind of life I believe God wants for all of us. But maybe for some of us in this room, even hearing all this like, yeah, Trevor, that sounds so good, but I've screwed up a long time ago. Like, I'm, I'm far from being a tree planted by streams of water. I'm drying. I'm in a drought. I'm never going to make it. And maybe we feel like we made too many mistakes for God to ever redeem it. I got news for you. The Bible is, a, is the word of God that tells us that there is always hope. We can always be transformed. That God can always do something new in us that he can plow up the field of our life, cultivate the field of our life, that something new might be planted, that we might grow and produce better fruit than we've planted and produced in the past. That is a hope for all of us. 
And that is good news. And so what it protects us from doing is looking around and wishing we had some other kind of life, but instead realizing this is the life that God has given us. What does he want to do with it? Here's the key this morning. I think we have to have the mentality that we want to cultivate the field that God has given to us rather than wishing we had another one altogether. What has God given you? The family that's in your life right now, your spouse, your kids, your job, your community, your church. What has God given you? Cultivate that. Break up the hard ground. Prepare it for new seed. Prepare it for planting. Let God grow something in you and through you. That is what he wants to do. And cultivate that field rather than the one you wish you had. There's a great story I heard this week about a friend of a, a guy who had some land and this friend came out and was gonna learn how to kind of plow and prepare the ground for, for seeding for the fall, for hunting and different things. So they went out to the farm and they're having this conversation. And he said to his friend, okay, but listen, if I get on the tractor and I start plowing the ground, like how long do I plow? How, when do I know I'm done? How do I know that I've, I finally finished? And, and the friend said to him, listen, here's what you do. You plow until the weeds are gone. You keep plowing until the weeds are gone. So there's no more sign of those things, then, then you can be done plowing for a time. But every season, there's more plowing that's needed. You see, in some of our lives this morning, no matter your gender, no matter your age, no matter who you are today, there are some weeds that have to be plowed up. If we have any hopes of living this happy life, this blessed life, in connection, in the way and will of God, there's some weeds that have to be plowed up some rocks that have to be turned over so we can get them out of the fields so that things can truly grow deep roots and produce good fruit. So this morning, that's my prayer for all of us. We would give ourselves to that hard work, to marinating and sitting and meditating on God's word, avoiding the places where we should not walk, stand and sit, and getting rid of those mentalities. And so this morning, I wanna invite my dad back out just for a moment. We wanna pray for every dad, grandfather, man in this room this morning. And so there's no pressure here this morning, but if you are a dad or a grandfather, I'd invite you just to stand right now. We wanna pray a blessing over you this morning that you might live this blessed life. Would you just stand? And if there's a dad standing around you and maybe you're his kids, spouse, good friend or something, would you just stand up next to them, place your hand on them as we bless them today? Maybe extend a hand to someone that you know and love across the room from you now. There's something that happens when we come together in agreements like this. We pray for these men. Would you join me in praying together? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you promise us, God, that if we open our hearts to you, that you will do something new in our lives. That if we give you the field of our life, that you will, you will cultivate, break up the ground, harden soil, that you might produce good fruit within us. So God, I pray for every father, every grandfather, every man here this morning, God, who invests in the lives of kids and students, who gives life to others. I pray a blessing over them now. I pray you would fill them with your very spirit, Jesus. They might be difference makers in this community, within their workplace, within their family. I pray you'd help us to love better. Help us to love you more. 
I pray you would show us, God, the places that we've been walking or standing or sitting that you want us to get the energy enough up to trust you once again to move on from. And I pray, God, that we would turn our attention, our time, our energy and affection toward your word, that we would sit in it enough that it might permeate our very being and change who we are to look more like your son, Jesus. So thank you, God, for these fathers. Would you bless them? Would you give them an incredible hope in their hearts that if you're at work, God, there is nothing that is impossible. So Father, we thank you for your love, for your grace, for your mercy. Help us to see the field of our life as one that is worthy of cultivation. We might see you do a new work. It's in your name that we pray. And everyone said, amen.